Welcome back to our show, In Our Own Defense Podcast. Uh, we're discussing racism and administration of justice. Dr. Tarver and I have the luxury of having our great guest here, uh, Judge Carlos Moore. Um, and we're going to pick back up on uh, mental health and, and race in the administration of justice. Dr. Tarver. And so before our break, uh, Judge Moore was talking about the opioid crisis, uh, but we also want to take some time and talk about how uh, lawyers and judges are frequently also diagnosed with mental health concerns. Uh, suicide, substance abuse might be a high risk for stress that could lead to uh, depression or anxiety. And then there's also this perception that sometimes judges may want to rush and get people off their docket so they don't want, they don't get overburdened and overstressed because there are a lot of cases that they have to deal with. So I wanted to just ask you, Judge, what are some of the stressors that judges may encounter that can affect your mental health? Yeah, in Mississippi, we have something called the Lawyers and Judges Assistance Program, and it's basically for substance abuse and maybe uh, mental health problems that we can turn to professionals for some assistance. Uh, we, as lawyers, we spend a lot of our time solving others' problems and trying to help them resolve their their crises, and we uh, neglect ourselves. And sometimes it, it catches up with us, and people turn to substances, whether it's alcohol or drugs, or they neglect their uh, mental health. Some lawyers are afraid to even go be evaluated by uh, or to talk to a psychologist or a counselor or anybody because they don't want to be labeled as uh, crazy or, or whatever. Uh, but if you remember Tipa Gore, I mean, she would tell us that mental uh, disability or mental illness is just the same as a physical illness. It just needs to be treated. And if treated appropriately, you can live a, a normal life. So uh, there are resources through the Mississippi Bar and other similar bars uh, where you can turn uh, to professionals for assistance. And so I encourage that. It is a stressful job, um, and uh, we shouldn't rush through the dockets. We should take every case, and, and everybody's case is, is very important, and um, we should do the best we can with each uh, person that appears before us as a judge. Well, about the resources that are offered, and I'm so happy to hear that they are. Uh, now, does a person have to be willing to acknowledge they have a challenge, or uh, as, as a fellow attorneys or fellow judges, are you able to come to someone and say like, hey, I'm, I'm noticing a pattern. Seems like there may be some things going on. Perhaps it may be a good idea if you go and get some support services. Is that something that happens? We can refer ourselves or our colleagues can refer us or family members. You can call the director of that uh, Lawyers and Judges Assistance Program and, and kind of do a confidential referral. The good thing about it, if you go through that program and successfully complete it, usually they would give you a pass on a bar uh, complaint or a bar violation. You can keep your license because you dealt with the issue, whether or not you self-reported or uh, you went because a colleague referred you or whatever. Um, so it has, it has its pluses because if you continue on a downward spiral and do, do not deal with the issue, you're going to eventually lose your license or whatever and can't practice or you're going to uh, be taken off the bench. So it's best to deal with it um, and, and, and recognize the problem and, and deal with it. Yeah, because I'm sure there are some issues with the lady who I saw, the, the attorney who spat on uh, that protester. Uh, and so she was arrested, but she's got a lot going on uh, that she's going to have to go get some sort of help. Uh, I don't know if, if there's an ability to come back from that one, but there seems to be underlying issue. And that's, that's a great point that the judge brought out, if I may add in there, is that, you know, these things – we don't see them because lawyers have to walk around with this pretentious air. We have to walk around like we're great, we're here, we're superheroes. 
but sometimes we're crumbling on the inside and, and it manifests itself. Like the judge said, people robbing people, pay, you know, robbing people, uh, Peter to pay Paul. They're uh, late for court, missed court, things like that. And that's when it emanates itself in that. And then you find out there is a substance abuse problem. They are under high level stress, not getting the proper self care. And so that, that is going to add that piece in there. And, up and I think that's very important because the stigma of, of mental health goes across the board, professional, on down to, to people who are, are working blue collar jobs. And people do not want to acknowledge, one, that they need help, uh, and, and two, that they're impaired to the point where it's affecting their job. I think nobody, you mentioned the, the word crazy judge, and I think a lot of times people struggle with that. That is not a psychological diagnosis, but I think layman-wise, we have adopted that into our communities where people who seek help are crazy as opposed to, these are people who are seeking help for their wellness, and we wanna address that stigma. Um, a follow-up, not necessarily regarding mental health per se, but some of the things that I think occur uh, with, with judges, as we mentioned earlier, as we were having our beginning dialogue, is this notion of bias. Uh, Attorney Winters likes me to say bigotry. Um, but oftentimes, we will find that judges are engaging in judicial bias, uh, which would just be described as their lack of self-awareness um, of how their personal experience and their values and their backgrounds affect how they may render uh, certain sentencing, um, and particularly for officers of the law. So I just wanted to ask you, Judge, what are some of the ways that bias can be addressed in the judicial field, particularly around judges? I believe we need more training. Uh, we have these training courses. Municipal judges, we go to uh, Biloxi, Gulfport every summer for training, but there's never any training on uh, 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 judicial bias. Uh, there's never any diversity training, uh, ways to avoid bias, anything. They don't train us. They, they train us in the law and update us on all of the uh, new things we should be doing as judges, but there's never any uh, implicit bias uh, training to avoid us doing that. And some of these judges are some of the most racist individuals uh, in the state and uh, in, in the country. Uh, judges are humans. Uh, as well, and uh, they need to be trained. We want to train the police officers on uh, diversity issues and sensitivity, but the judges are not getting the training. And some of these judges I have appeared before as a lawyer, uh, the way they treat the attorneys is so bad. I mean, they treat the, the black attorneys one way and the white attorneys another way. And so you know they're going to treat the uh, defendants, uh, the black defendants, even worse than the, the white defendants. And so uh, it, it can be pretty bad at times. I had an experience yesterday in court uh before a white older judge and he treated me so so very terrible uh, i just had to bite my tongue and my co-counsel was a white guy and i just sat down and let him talk and he treated him a whole different uh a, a whole different way but i knew if i had to say it what was on my mind it would not have been appropriate so i just let the white guy get up and talk because at that time i had had enough and if i had to say it one say, say what was on my mind and i knew it was going to be out of order so i just let the white guy get up and he treated him just just normal and he was my co-counsel on the same side as me that's unacceptable in 2020. Mm. I mean, I, you have just said such a, a mouthful in that I'm almost kind of speechless. I, I know that the bias exists, but I think I'm stuck on the fact that there is act, absolutely no training, no anti-bias training that judges receive, no cultural competency training. None of that is required in order to serve as a judge. I can only talk about municipal judges and I've been on the bench three years since 2017 and started going to the trainings uh, in, in 2018. So I've been to two conferences, 18 and 19. They canceled the one this year because of COVID, and there was no judicial uh, 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 tr 
training in regards to diversity issues or uh, implicit bias or anything. Yeah, maybe you can tell that we used to set up a training session. We could charge these judges. <laughs> I, I, that I, well, if, if that if we talk about recommendations as we like to do on this show, that I mean that definitely is a recommendation. You're absolutely right, Judge. You cannot require or or say that you should require. I know some of the police don't receive adequate training either. You cannot require police officers to receive training that judges then don't receive. And so yes, all that racism that's implicit in these judges, and, and we know that it exists. We've seen several examples of it uh, with, with Judge. Um, not too long ago that made some negative statements about uh, George Floyd and the handling of that case. So uh, we recognize this is an issue and the fact that there hasn't been any accountability regarding training clearly is an area that we can address. And so that is definitely a recommendation that needs to come out of this. Um, so uh, I think this is my last mental health question. Uh, well, a couple. I have a couple more. Uh, and again, appreciate Attorney Winters for giving me this opportunity. Um, so we mentioned mental health uh, uh, court. That's something that happens here in Georgia, but also for you, making sure that uh, people get assessments when they may have some symptoms of mental health. But what are some of the initiatives that judges potentially can advocate for to address the overrepresentation of individuals with mental illness in our criminal justice system. Are judges involved in that process at all? I believe there has been some legislation recently passed uh, in Mississippi that allows certain jurisdictions, uh, certain judges to, to uh, develop mental health, mental health courts uh, in the areas over, over which they preside. I believe uh, my colleague in Greenwood that's for me in, I believe he's uh, leading an initiative over there to start a mental health court. We don't have it in Grenada, that may be something I can look at bringing to uh, Grenada, but it's up to each judge to push the issue in their respective realm or domain. Um, but I think we have legislation that's been approved. So I would suggest that in states that don't have the legislation that's been approved, that they that they uh, follow through with the legislation, get it approved and sign it to law. And for the states that have it, that the judges take it upon themselves and go ahead and put it uh, into motion to bring it forward in their communities because it's, it's, it's definitely needed. A lot of times we are criminalizing mental health issues and people are sitting in jail because they have a mental issue, a mental health issue when uh, that's unacceptable. Uh, if you're sick, you need to go to the doctor, uh, whether it's a, a PhD or MD, uh, you need to go get uh, the right counseling or the right treatment. Uh, some people need medicine, some people need therapy, but uh, some, most of these things can be treated, but left untreated, uh, it begins to fester and grow worse. And then you have somebody committing an even worse crime than they would have committed had they been treated. Absolutely. Uh, and, I, and I recognize that part, another part of that is being able to have those mental health resources in the communities, because I recognize in a lot of areas, there aren't facilities for people to go to. So that's one of the yes. challenges that I know that some cities face and some states face is that outside of the inpatient psychiatric facilities, which are not places where everyone needs to go, they need to be in recovery oriented facilities. The inpatient facilities are definitely reserved for those people that have more severe and chronic mental health and possibly those um, who are forensic. But I, I know in a lot of areas, and this is the area here where we struggle with this, there aren't really community agencies where people can go and get those resources. So I imagine that would need to be a part of any initiatives as well, making sure that we have places where people can go when we identify that they need help. Um, Correct. Yeah, yeah. And that's why we've been blessed in Grenada to be such a small 
town and community, we have a community crisis center there and this regional is based in Grenada. And we also have life help uh, for outpatient treatment. So we have two facilities in Grenada that we can send people to, uh, outpatient and inpatient. So that's, that's good. Some communities don't have that. Uh, and we probably service a lot of communities in Grenada. Uh, sometimes with the inpatient, the beds, you have to wait on those beds, but uh, outpatient treatment can definitely be done at Life Help for multiple people, so. Absolutely. Well, I know we've been talking some about people who, who may have committed crimes, but I wanna talk about their families for a second, if we can, because I recognize that sometimes when um, people are coming to court to support their family member who uh, has been um, sentenced or, or is about to be sentenced or um, is facing some charges, that it can be a very emotional time for them, especially in some of these highly racially charged cases in which uh, justice is not being served. What recommendations might you have to family members as they're trying to manage, manage their emotional distress to a courtroom? I know courtrooms can be very anxiety provoking uh, for people, um, but, but what are some of your recommendations for, for people that may be coming to support loved ones uh, uh, to court I would say take advantage. There's usually a victim witness coordinator uh, in most prosecutors' office that uh, can help the family members of those accused or maybe witnesses uh, help them understand the criminal justice process, help them understand what's going to go on, uh, why why it's occurring, when it's going to occur. Uh, those professionals are, um, are good in the prosecutor's office, and they may can also refer them to uh, other community therapists or whatever uh, if they're having problems dealing and coping with it. Because if it's your first if you've had a loved one that's never been in trouble with the law and all of a sudden they're, they're facing several years behind bars, that's a good appeal to, uh, to swallow. Uh, and sometimes uh, you have to have someone to get you through the grief, especially if they're convicted and you know they're going to get ready to, uh, you see your child placed uh, in handcuffs and, and, and hauled off to, to prison for several years. That's a lot to go through. So I would encourage families to, to seek uh, counseling and then support groups, other families that have gone through it. Uh, it makes it uh, sometimes bearable when somebody knows and can empathize with you. So it could be lay people, your, it could be a clergy, or it could be professional mental health people. Uh, and just as a follow-up to that, for people who may be going to court, let's say, for example, um, in cases like Ahmaud Aubrey, where your loved one was murdered and you're going to court to uh, see if officers will be held or, or people in this particular case, these were um, the civilians in the community that took it upon themselves uh, to hunt him down. Um, how would you recommend for those families they come knowing that that may be a situation where this person who murdered their family member may not get any true jail time or maybe get a light sentence compared to what other people would get for similar crimes? As lawyers uh, for the families, uh, we are, if, they, if they've retained a lawyer, in this, in this instance, they have uh, to help them through the process civilly and, and to advise them about the criminal justice process. We try to prepare them for any eventual outcome. Uh, they are not to be in an outburst uh, in the courtroom and all that type of thing. That's easier said than done. But if you see someone get off and your child or your loved one is the one that has been killed and there's no justice, your immediate reaction is to be, uh, be enraged. Uh, and so you have to help them. Uh, and I would suggest in certain instances that you start preparing them uh, mentally uh, by getting them some professional treatment. While we are counselors at law, uh, we are not mental health counselors. And so we can only tell them about the criminal justice system and what to expect and not to expect. But uh, should the worst uh, come about, I would think is always wise, especially in these high profile cases to have them have, to have already pr 
uh, I don't want to say pre-spoken, but have already spoken to uh, mental health counselors and therapists uh, and doctors. Thank you, Jeff. Okay. Absolutely. Oh. No problem. Well, uh, I, I want to take a, a, a quick break, uh, Judge, um, because I'm going to come at you hard and fast with these questions that I have for you. And I know um, um, uh, we know Tom is of the essence, but uh, you're, you're listening to us here on um, In Our Own Defense podcast. We're discussing racism and administration of justice. Dr. Dolores Tarver and I have the, the luxury of having uh, Judge Carlos Moore with us to unpack this. Uh, we hope you enjoyed the show. We'll be right back in a moment. 